you want me to show you the place or you want to go by yourself? No, no. Let's go. On y va ensemble. Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are sticking close to home and missing the long-distance trails we love. Maybe your hiking boots, like mine, are looking pretty forlorn these days. If you, like me, love to walk, there are lots of virtual pilgrimages you can do right where you are. As for me, I've been walking up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the folks I've met and the paths I've walked. I'd like to share some of those with you. pilgrimage stories, we're in Spain, on the Camino de Santiago. The Camino is a set of trails crisscrossing Europe that dates back to the medieval period. It's seen a massive resurgence in popularity and is now home to hundreds of thousands of walkers every year. That voice you heard at the outset of the podcast was me. I was following the owner of an auberge, a hostel, down the hall to my room in the small French village of Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port at the foot of the Pyrenees Mountains. It's right on the border between France and Spain, and it's from Saint-Jean that a lot of Camino walkers start out their walk for the city of Santiago, about 800 kilometers away, across the north side of the Spanish peninsula. How did I get there? In the fall of 2010, the head of our department at Concordia University, Montreal, called me into her office. I want you to begin a class on pilgrimage, she announced. I had had no idea what, that she was going to say that to me. I want you to take a group of students on the Camino next spring, said Dr. Pamela Bright. The Camino in Spain. If all goes well, I hope to join you there. Professor Bright was just then undergoing treatments for an aggressive cancer. Why me? I responded once I got over the surprise. My, my field is biblical studies. I'm a part-time professor. Why not get someone else? Bright was a scholar of Augustine, and she had once been a nun. She still had the commanding habits of a mother superior. Because I know you'll do it, she replied curtly, and then she dismissed me. When Pamela Bright put her mind to something, she usually got it. I knew nothing of the Camino de Santiago and very little about pilgrimage, but I knew something about long walks. And as the months wore on, I started to get excited about the idea of a class that would involve a long walk in Spain. Dr. Bright got what she wanted. I did start a class on pilgrimage for her, and I did walk the Camino with my students, at least kind of. Six weeks before we were booked to leave for Spain in late March of 2011, while playing basketball, I snapped my Achilles tendon. It was a complete break. 
I walked around in pain with my foot flopping uselessly for almost a week until I was finally convinced by friends that I absolutely had to have surgery to reconnect the severed tendon. Unfortunately, six weeks is not long enough for a full recovery from that kind of surgery. I was still hobbling. I was wearing a boot cast and I had just moved from crutches to cane when our group of pilgrims landed in Spain. By that time, unfortunately, Professor Bright's condition was worse. Up to the last minute, she bravely insisted that she might still join us on the Camino. But as a result of her cancer treatments, she was too weak to make the trip. She died just over a year later. May her memory be blessed. The pilgrimage certainly hasn't turned out, didn't turn out like any of us had hoped. In Spain, the most I could manage with my cast and cane was a few kilometers a day. One of my colleagues, Sarah Thoreau, took a charge of the group of mostly mature students along the trail. She quickly became an expert on pilgrimage and wound up teaching more of the pilgrimage classes over the years than I did at Concordia. Even though I was injured and hobbling, that first taste of pilgrimage in 2011 got me hooked. And I'm certainly not the only one. The Camino has alumni and supporters all over the world. I am George Grignot, Professor Emeritus at William & Mary University in Virginia in the United States and founder of our university's Institute for Pilgrimage Studies. We study pilgrimage, travel for transformation, in every time, territory, and tradition. We certainly do religious pilgrimages, both medieval and modern, but we consider secular forms of pilgrimage as well. How's that? Wow, that's fantastic. So as, as somebody who has, um... Uh, has founded an institute for pilgrimage studies that that studies pilgrimages of all sorts. As you said, uh, you could talk about any pilgrimage. I know that, but I'm particularly interested today in the Camino de Santiago, uh, a trail of which I know you are very fond and have great experience with. And so let's just start with something. I, I want to ask you that if you could transport yourself magically to any place on the Camino de Santiago's many trails right now, um, where would you go? Well, that's a tough question because there's so many parts of the Camino de Santiago that mean so much to me. Um, I guess I've done something over 4,000 miles on various trails, about half on bicycle, half on foot, most of the time in what's come to be crucial company. There are so many people I've shared moments with, and they're the ones that have embedded me, that have made those places on the Camino special. So asking me for a special place on the Camino is almost asking for a special person on the Camino. It's those contacts, that shared moments, those confessions along the way that make the Camino de Santiago such a magical place. I guess it's, in part it's because most pilgrimages are transactional in some way. You do something big hoping for a big payoff. Well, it can be spiritual certainly, and it could be taking ownership of your body. But the Camino de Santiago, I think, is unique in that of all modern pilgrimages, people go into it hoping it's going to be, on some level, therapeutic. It will not only advance you spiritually, emotionally, but it heals at the same time. So when I think about the Camino de Santiago, it's the people and the healing and landscapes of healing that mean so much to me. All right, hi, I'm Jen Chianka, and I am a professor of classical studies and liberal arts at Bishop's University in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada. 
and I am a pilgrim who has done a few Caminos in her day, um, primarily in Spain, but also Portugal. Wow, great. Okay, thank you, uh, Jen. And I'm, in, I'm interested in particular in talking about Caminos today. And it's good that you start off by talking about not only Spain, but also Portugal, because the Camino isn't just one path, is it? No, it's so many. And I have a lot more on my bucket list, that's for sure. When did you first walk the, up a trail, one of the trails of the Camino? So my first walk was in 2013, in June. Uh, and I started on my birthday. I did the Camino Frances from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port, so the traditional starting point, all the way to Santiago. And how was it? Uh, it was amazing and honestly life-changing, I think particularly afterwards. So while I was on the trail, it was... Um, you know, it was a kind of mix of enjoyable and frustrating and uh, exciting and boring and <laughs> special. Um, but then afterwards, I found by when I came home, it had really it had really shifted something, and I didn't realize it was happening while I was walking. But I really became addicted to walking and the sort of expansive way of thinking that walking has brought to my life. Um, so that was my first one and I knew as soon as I finished that I wanted to start writing about pilgrimage, start thinking about pilgrimage, uh, and definitely wanted to walk more. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, I should say you're, I, I know that you're an academic who writes about pilgrimage because we've written, we've uh, authored things in the same volume in the same uh, periodicals. But, yeah. um, so you've researched ancient pilgrimage. But mm -hmm. I love what you just said about expansive view of the world that came with, with pilgrimage, and you became attached to that? Yeah, very much. I think, um, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, um, I was homeschooled for quite a while, until I was 10. And my mom was really big on nature and nature walks, and we used to do a lot of nature walks uh, as a family and as part of our sort of homeschool curriculum. <laughs> and I remember... Uh, I really liked it, but I also didn't, I was sort of rebellious and didn't like doing any of the stuff that my mom wanted me to do. Um, and so I had this weird notion about how nature and forests and trails were sort of for other people and they weren't for me. And I was very much into being an urban person and living in the city. And I lived in Toronto for 10 years and I really fell in love with Toronto. Um, but something about that first Camino, it was like some of those memories from being a kid and how it used to feel to be out in the woods, smelling those smells and just the freedom of it. It started to kind of trickle back. And I realized <laughs> after I came back, I thought, oh, you know, I really like it. I really like the way that it feels to be out there. I really like the way that um, my thoughts change they've shifted quite a bit and it just feels, I, I'm trying to think of another way to explain it. It feels like my world has opened up again. So uh, in a way it's like, I feel like a little kid and some of the sort of comfort of that, but then also there's a kind of endless horizon on the, especially on the Camino trails. They're just so long and, and so, there are so many of them, so many pathways. It feels like 
I could keep walking forever. That music you're hearing is of a folk festival that I almost literally stumbled upon when I walked into the village of Castro Jerez and on the Meseta, on the Camino. Almost uh, stumbled into a meeting because of my cast and my cane. I was wearing out by that point. And that feeling of expansiveness that both George and Jen talk about struck me too when I hobbled with my students everywhere on the Camino. The Meseta, however, in particular, reminded me of the prairies and the wide open skies of my youth. And the people were friendly too. Despite the language barrier, an albergue owner in Castro Jerez took me on a hair-raising journey up the mountain that overlooks the city, where we visited the ruins of the Roman-slash-Visigoth-slash-Moorish-slash-Christian fort that overlooks the town. And then, just for good measure, after I hobbled with my cane and cast over the ancient ramparts, he took me along to a series of homes that were built into the caves of the mountain, and, and then after that to a cloistered nunnery where he purchased some of the local baking for me to taste through a, a, a gate, a gated uh, place in the wall. This was not just tolerating us as foreigners passing through. This was true Spanish hospitality of a sort I've rarely seen elsewhere. Let me ask you on that landscapes of healing. Um, sometimes in order to heal something, you have to break it open a little bit first. So is it also a landscape of being broken open sometimes, do you think? Oh, certainly. Um, people, especially in Western societies, are so involuntarily sedentary. We hardly get up from our computer screens or our sofas or our kitchen tables to experience the outdoors and our own bodies. So the Camino de Santiago is a great centering experience to feel at home in your body. And especially for undergraduate American university students that I take on the Camino, actually, it's a great first time experience for them because they're barely aware of their adult bodies. Um, their adult bodies are very recent acquisitions. And frankly, <clears throat> most of them haven't read the owner's manual, manual yet. They're getting used to what it's like to be truly tired, truly hungry having worked up an appetite, an exhaustion, dirtiness, that they're going to not only bathe, but wash their own clothes by hand, usually for the first time in their lives. And so there's so many body-centered experiences that come along with walking in the community of Santiago. I think it's a great way to be in touch and take ownership of our lives and bodies again. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And, and um, so, so for you, pilgrimage is very much a, a sensual experience and probably always has been. Oh, yes. You know, there's a lot of us researchers that are trying to recover the sensory experience of medieval life, medieval travel, medieval pilgrimage. And I think this is a rich sensory experience like we rarely get in modern society. There are sounds, there are smells. Um, there's tactile exper um, experiences to touch cold stone, warm wood, fresh fruit, um, the grass by your side, um, the roughness of bark on trees. All of this 
um, just being out in the fresh air for hours and hours on end, um, the care that you give your body, um, the appreciation you have for your body, for your feet, for your knees, for your hands, for whatever is exposed to the sun. I think these are all rich experiences that help us be at home in our bodies. And that's pretty rare these days. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I, um, I guess when you, when you learn something about yourself through your feet, those feet might be aching feet with, uh, you know, with blisters and, and uh, you feel the sun of the meseta on, your, on you as you walk during the day. Uh, so you, you get in touch with yourself in part by getting in touch with your body. That's what you're saying? Yes. And you learn how to forgive your body too. Um, you're not as strong as you think you are, even college students. I, I had one student who resisted my advice about wearing a full-brimmed hat and longer pants. Um, he wanted to go in shorts and, and no hat. And since we're always walking west on the Camino Frances, you get burnt on the left side. Um, his left leg, his calf, was so toasted within three days that it got its own nickname. We called it the carne asada, <laughs> roast meat. And poor guy took a lot of teasing. But um, he learned how to take care of himself in a new way. And I think that was a good experience for him. The Francais, I really liked, um, and also I think, you know, like a lot of people say, it's an excellent introduction to Caminos because the infrastructure is so it's ubiquitous. It's, you, you hardly have to plan for anything. You can just kind of show up. And I know it's quite busy now, but even so, uh, you don't have to make a lot of plans in advance or figure out where you're going to stay. You can just kind of wing it. Um, but of course, the flip side to that is that there are many, many, many people uh, almost all the time, especially the, the last quarter of it. Um, whereas in Portugal, especially the section between Lisbon and Porto, a lot of people don't walk it. And as a result, I, I only met seven or eight pilgrims uh, along that way. And uh, because we were so few, we ended up spending a lot of time together. pointed out uh, just now the, the importance of a, of a community of pilgrims who are walking together and maybe a cohorts. And I know from my experience that the Camino de Santiago is special in, in that you, uh, when, when you're walking on the Camino de Santiago, you almost always are with a cohort of people, at least on the Camino Francis, I'll say. Uh, you're almost always walking with a cohort of people uh, and back and forth and, and creating community. Um, a lot of other trails that, that I've walked, at least in, in Europe, um, are much more sort of solitary walks. And uh, so, um, I don't know, do you want to say something about the, the, the different kinds of, I mean, one isn't better than the other, but about the different kinds of possibilities that pilgrimage offers in that way? Well, that's certainly a difference from the Middle Ages, when most pilgrims, simply for safety, traveled together in large groups to protect themselves from highwaymen and robbers. 
and to watch over each other so that no one took advantage of them, stole their goods. Nowadays, um, for one, this pilgrimage is the safest form of travel that I can imagine in modern society. Who are you surrounded by? Strangers, yes, but they're fellow pilgrims. So a sense of not just community, but of safety within that community, sleeping in an open room of bunk beds with 20 or 30 or 50 strangers and feeling perfectly at ease um, in terms of not just safety, but even modesty, <clears throat> I think is a wonderful change of pace. Um, some people do the Camino de Santiago looking for solitude. It's a little harder these days. So many people want that experience on the Camino that there are a lot of people doing it. But for those who complain that the Camino is ruined, you can no longer have the pure experience. You can, if you would like an intimate experience, offer that intimate experience to someone else. Then you can have one yourself. Um, if we're too guarded, too untrusting, too careful about who we talk to or tell our lives to, it doesn't happen. And so there's an element of trust that you have to lend yourself to. It's there, it's always there because of who surrounds you. But you have to open yourself up to it. I think the Camino de Santiago with its exercise and the shared burdens of the day the shared meals at night, the shared facilities, opens you up to sharing a lot more. And that I think is therapeutic in all the best, cleanest, easiest of ways. Sí, 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 porque tiene el pie, el pie ¿Y qué ¿Usted está de hospitalero? Yo soy el del camping. Ah, del camping. Ah, Han estado con nosotros en el albergue del camping. Ah, ya, ya. El grupo se ha ido esta mañana. Hello, I'm Lee Pennock, and I'm the president of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims. The Canadian Company of Pilgrims is a non-denominational, not-for-profit volunteer organization, and we support English-speaking Canadian pilgrims who are interested in uh, walking or cycling or just learning about the pilgrimage routes that lead to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And we have a sister organization, Du Quebec à Compostelle, that has a similar purpose for supporting Francophone pilgrims. We've got about 3,000 members in Canada, and we have 18 different chapters in cities across the country. My first experience of walking the Camino was in the fall of 2013. That was the year that I retired, and I wanted to find a way to mark the occasion by doing something that would challenge me and stretch my limits, something that would be an intense experience and completely different from anything I had done before. I had heard of the Camino, but I really didn't know a lot about it. I knew that it's a long distance trek that follows a medieval pil pilgrimage route for about 800 kilometers from the Pyrenees across the north of Spain to the magical, wonderful city of Santiago de Compostela. I walked the Camino and the experience was beyond anything I could have hoped for. It was fulfilling in so many different dimensions. It was spiritually and culturally rich. 
it was physically challenging. The landscapes were spectacular. And by the end, uh, my husband and I felt part of a close-knit community of pilgrims. And we knew that we wanted to go back. And we've done five different pilgrimage routes now. And we're still eager to return as soon as it's safe to do so. Why is it that so many other people and organizations and municipal organizations and tourist boards throughout Europe look to the Camino de Santiago as a way of perhaps reviving medieval trails? Well, the historical memory of medieval trails throughout Europe um, is still very much there. People remember when they went on day trips or longer journeys to neighboring shrines or shrines that were days or weeks or months away from their home. Um, but while the trails still could be recovered, re-identified, mostly these have become simply site visits. You get to that cathedral, that church, that tomb, that shrine, and pay a visit. But the Camino de Santiago is a journey that you have to earn on your own two feet. And you can walk a few days or a few months um, being intimate with your body, the landscape, being one with the people that you eat with and travel with. Um, I think that experience is medieval, and it's also a very refreshing modern experience that we're a group of strangers that's suddenly a community of trust. And that, I think, is a powerful inducement to undertake this journey. It's a big investment of time, of energy, of resources, of money. Um, it's leaving aside the comforts of home. Um, it's leaving aside family members and loved ones often. It's leaving aside responsibilities and a, self of self a sense of self-importance. <clears throat> Letting go of your own self-importance, of your performance of self can be really tough, but I think it's a wonderful change of pace that does us good and actually lets the Camino do something to us. Oh, can you do that? Let's see, let's see. I can't do that. That's genetic. So, although the trip went on, I didn't. Day after day, I hobbled to the edges of small Spanish towns all along the trail and waved goodbye to Sarah and to my students and then boarded buses and taxis to greet them at the next village or city. My students became walkers, and somewhere in those long miles that I missed, those walkers became pilgrims. I wasn't really there to see what happened to them, but I could see how powerful it was. Let's see, what is that? Let's see, let's see. It, it, I, what I'd like to maybe ask you about is the is the importance of community because uh, um, you know that I've walked a number of trails where there simply was almost nobody on the trail unless you walked with a group there was no group. Mm -hmm. um, so how important is is community um, on on the various iterations of the Camino? 
So let, let me start by saying, I, so I've walked the Frances, I've watched, I've walked the Camino, the Portuguese Camino. I've walked most of the Norte and I've walked the Primitivo and all of them have had really different community aspects and really different numbers of pilgrims. And um, in each case, I sort of set expectations for myself about how I wanted my experience with other pilgrims to be. Um, so without going on into too much detail, I guess what I can say is the first one, the, the Francis, having a lot of community was really important to me because I was initially, I was kind of nervous about being a woman walking alone. So I was a little bit worried about that. Um, and so for that one, it was pretty important. And I kind of did the whole, I met a Camino family and we walked together for a lot of it. And that was really, really special. Um, the second one I walked was the Portuguese walk and I did not want to spend time with people. <laughs> and part of the reason why I went is because I had heard there were very few pilgrims. And so it was really funny because it kind of backfired on me um, since a group of us ended up walking together. But then of course they were wonderful, kind, beautiful, intelligent people. And so it wasn't a hardship to be with them. Um, it was like, so I didn't realize I needed it, but I did. Um, and there was one guy in particular that we ended up walking the whole last section together and we became really tight and um, it was an unexpected, glorious thing. Um, last year, I went on a longer walk uh, doing most of the Norte and then dipping down to do the Primitivo. And I was really adamant about walking alone. Uh, I really did not want to walk with anyone else. It was really important for me to be by myself. Um, and how did that go? It went really well. I think in all uh, like 37 days or 38 days of walking, I think I only walked with people two days and one of them was a torrential downpour and it was just like hilarious. Um, but that being said, I did still kind of partake in the communal aspect in the evenings. So sharing dinners or sharing meals or having drinks with people um, in the evening is still really important um, as well. Yeah. I would love to do one all by myself at some point and just camp and, and see how that kind of affects the way that I interact with the landscape and, and so on. Even though my own experiences on the Camino de Santiago have been limited, there's so much to say about the trail that I just can't fit it all into one podcast. We'll come back soon to the Camino in another episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I hope you'll return for more episodes of the podcast on the Camino de Santiago, on my walks across Treaty 4 and Treaty 6 territories in the northern Great Plains of North America, and on much more. I'd like to thank Professor Sir George Greenia of the Institute for Pilgrimage Studies at the College of William and Mary, Virginia, for being so willing and so helpful in talking about the field of stars. As well, thanks to Professor Jen Chanka of Bishop's University and Dr. Lee Pennick, the president of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, for chatting with me about their Camino experiences. The happy pilgrim community you heard here and there throughout the podcast included Sarah Thoreau, 
Kathy Valenti, Bernice Lamb, Janice Donato, Ken DeBoer, Jocelyn DeBoer, John Harrison, and Lisa Beaulieu. They were a wonderful group to share the Camino with, and I'm still thankful for our experiences together way back then. Thanks to James Anderson for his great podcast theme music, and to Gabe Morehouse Anderson for helping me out on guitar. If this episode has gotten you interested in walking the Camino de Santiago, there's lots of information to get you started. I'd suggest being in touch with the Canadian Company of Pilgrims chapter nearest you if you're in Canada. Elsewhere in the world, there's sure to be a group or a chapter of the Confraternity of St. James near you. I'd like to express my great appreciation also to the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, or CUPFA, for the grant that helped me to return to Spain a year after my first injured walk when I shot a documentary of the trail titled Something Grand. If you'd like to see that 26-minute documentary on the Camino, you can find it on my blog site, somethinggrand.ca, two Gs, somethinggrand, altogether one word, .ca, under the Film and Radio Projects tab. As George Greenio will tell you, after all the planning and all the reading, there's no substitute for just getting out there and walking. I'm Matthew Anderson, the, for now, Staircase Pilgrim, still cooling my boots and warming my mic. I hope to see you next episode. Bye for now. dug into the side of the mountain, little uh, casa, uh, not ni, uh, sin casa. Uh, casa, house. Casa, house. House, vivienda. Yeah. Vivienda. Vivienda. This one has got about three rooms or four rooms in a row dug into the side and quite deep, two rooms deep and about three or four rooms side to side. A large family could have lived here and did, I guess, at one point. And further down the mountain, there are others like this that are in much better shape. This one has been abandoned. But there are those with flowers and balconies and terraces. Yeah, yeah.